am Carol Gelbard. I'm the Neuromuscular Disease Foundation Emotional Wellness Director. And today we have a special guest that I'm excited to interview today. I'm honored and excited to be interviewing Cam Redloss today. She is known as a well-regarded and respected disability advocate who is educating others on what it's like to live with the rare disease and is committed to help raise awareness and decrease stigma and shame associated with being a person with a disability. Cam is a, dis is a disabled industrial designer, artist, advocate, traveler, writer, and speaker. She's also a Korean American adoptee. She has been an advocate for the rare disease and disability community for 14 years using art, writing, travels, and tools that connect us as humans. She has lived with GE myopathy for over 20 years. Typically, you'll find her on road trips in nature, scavenging for art destinations, or concocting exploration plans. She's a daydreamer, a chaser of inspiration, and believes stories create bridges with, within humanity. This past month, she received the Rare Impact Award for the National Organization of Rare Disease that is given to an advocate who makes an impact on the lives of those in the rare disease community. I happen to follow her on Instagram and read her blogs that help educate others on topics such as ableism, love, lust, and disability, as well as creating equal access and opportunities as able-bodied, as much as able-bodied people in the workplace. I have learned a great deal from her insight and perspective and know she'll be able to shed some light on this difficult topic of stigma and disability. So first of all, I want to kind of acknowledge that we uh, interviewed Dr. Halakube and uh, Lale Welch and I all talked about the taboo of disability in, in, in certain communities. And you know, with that said, all cultures have systems of health beliefs to explain what causes illness, how it can be addressed, how open one should be about their experience and how to manage and cope. Um, attitudes about disability can be positive and empowering, and they can also have negative and harmful views. Sometimes we need to combat stereotypes and prejudice and harmful practices related to persons with disabilities. In particular, we want to examining issues of stigma and feelings of shame. So part of what I thought would be useful is to talk to patients from different communities and let them share what their experience has been like, and maybe they can help educate us so we can even gain further insight into what Neuromuscular Disease Foundation can do to help patients as well as caregivers, families, anyone who's interested in learning more about how we can be better advocates and more sensitive to the needs of uh, people with rare diseases and the disabled community. So welcome, Cam. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Hi, thank you. <laughs> excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about your background, uh, maybe your ethnicity, religion, and whether it's been a factor in how you understand and manage and cope with your disability. Um, so I'm a Korean American adoptee. I was um, orphaned at birth and I was born in Daegu. And then um, when I was four years old, I came to United States, uh, Michigan. And that's where my uh, adoptive parents uh, who had three sons themselves, um, so I grew up in a pretty standard, very American, white American culture, um, specifically Midwest with the type of Midwest values. Um, we were raised um, Lutheran. Uh, religion wasn't a huge um, aspect of my childhood in terms of being uh, beholden to a lot of uh, views that religion can bring about. 
that are can be both productive or harmful. Um, namely, we're talking about disability. Um, mine, in terms of being disabled, mine started when I was about in high school and I started a whole journey of figuring out that I had g and &E myopathy. And at that time I had no, um, I didn't know anyone disabled. I didn't have anyone to really look up to. So anything, any um, stigmas or things like that that were uh, placed on me was largely from mainstream society. And that's something that we all deal with in terms of, it doesn't matter what culture or what country or religion or whatever. In general, society has very similar types of myths or stigmas about disability. So while mine wasn't really um, deciphered from religion, um, I definitely understand that a lot of religion or myths or superstitions of different cultures that add on to the society, um, the societal pressure of being told what you are and what you aren't just because you find yourself disabled. Got it. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you didn't necessarily experience it within your culture or within your religion, but you are very sensitive to the fact that people in other cultures might not have the same experience. Um, can you tell me what you think are some of the underlying reasons for these myths and stereotypes? I think you a lot guess. of, I think a lot of them are passed down through generation in general, um, which largely a lot of them do stem from religion and um, the way we subscribe to ideas or parameters that were set by a few in terms of what was accept acceptable. So disabled really haven't had that many rights for that long. Um, previously, we were institutionalized. Um, it could have been seen as witchcraft. I mean, even in modern day, I've had Christians come up to me and tell me that I probably did something wrong to deserve it. Um, I had another woman tell me that it was probably um, sins of my ancestors. So there's a lot of ways that a lot of us are uneducated or subscribe 100% to a religion and all of its views or interpretations that have significantly changed or evolved over uh, centuries. And yet we still kind of um, subscribe to ideas that either uh, place people on a hierarch hierarchical scale, um, try to give uh, explanation or reason to random occurrences like mm -hmm. becoming disabled, genetic mutations, things like that. Because um, there, there must be a reason, but they're always uh, defined by humans um, who set up parameters, even in society, if we just look on basic structure of who is desirable and media and entertainment has told us a certain body shape, a certain person, a certain race is uh, usually presented the most. So right. it's kind of like all these ideas and beliefs that have kind of evolved over time that we don't realize that um, either non-disabled or disabled have placed upon ourselves. Right, right. No, and I'm glad you even brought up, because we can talk about that later in this interview, of like comments that people make, like, you know, and part of it is that they don't know how to make sense of it. They're uncomfortable. So mm -hmm. they say things and they don't realize the impact of their words. And I've seen that in various communities where there is an uncomfortability around someone who is disabled and they're not sure how to make sense of it. So they, or maybe it's their own fear of this could happen to me. So it must've been this thing that happened to this person because that just doesn't happen. And it, I don't think people realize how insensitive that can be at times and the impact that has. Um, even though they think that some of their comments are helpful, um, that sometimes those comments aren't helpful and they come from myths and legends mm -hmm. that aren't accurate. And as you said, people are just aren't educated on the origins of rare diseases and, you know, 
and the genetics of all of that. So thank you for um, shedding light on that. And I know I kind of answered a little bit of this question, but I want to hear from you. What seems to be the most serious effects of these myths and stereotypes on persons with disability and on society? Uh, well, there could be so many, they're mostly negative. Um, there's so many things. Just look at the aspect of disabled being institutionalized, uh, which often resulted in abuse. Um, they were hidden, they had no rights. Um, a lot of these thoughts uh, drive uh, social policies how we, um, or families that don't seek help because they're embarrassed or the stigma of it, or um, individual disabled placing um, uh, low self-worth or value, or when someone does find themselves becoming disabled, whether if it's genetic mutation or from an accident or something, that their, their first thought is complete that their life is over. And there is a large aspect of that, even when I was diagnosed, um, I think largely what's helped me is I lived, decided to live my life as I would if I was able-bodied. But I certainly combated and dealt with that. Um, it dealt with my self-worth. You know, you think a lot of the things that you're not gonna be able to do things. Um, and, you know, it, that also uh, trickles into social aspects or policies because 10% of the world is disabled and 80% of them are from uh, developed countries. Um, so what people don't realize is we're the most marginalized and under underrepresented minority group in not only America, but the world. And when we're told that we have no value and when society tells, is told that disabled have no value, um, for example, hiring employee, for example, mm -hmm. you're not hired. Instead of seeing the complexity of a person and all the aspects that they can deliver um, beyond just being able to walk or feed themselves or things like that, mm -hmm. um, then you deal with a large impoverished community. And so, you know, it goes into a large um, web of areas that it hurts and, um, you know, just really is toxic to the general aspect of the spectrum of humanity and, and the different forms that we come in. Okay. And I do want to touch on the issue that you talked about, like the shame and the self-worth, because that is a really big topic. And a lot of my work at, as the emotional wellness director at NDF, a lot of the stories that patients share with me is that they are ashamed and they feel that sometimes their family's ashamed of them. And that really does impact their self-worth. And they feel they can't talk about it, that nobody's open to hearing about their experience and how that makes them feel even more alienated. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that I found that's really important in people like you that can actually talk about it and talk about real topics that are impacting us impacting patients and they realize, okay, hey, I'm not alone. There are other people that are also dealing with these same issues. I don't need to feel embarrassed or ashamed and that you feel the sense of connection to other people that understand what it's like to be in your shoes. And the more you allow people, as you said, to have access to get help, to get the support, the more they're gonna feel less ashamed and value themselves as a person. And as you said, find ways to enjoy their life despite having this disability that they are still going to create happiness and find things that they're passionate about and find joy in their life. And I know that's not easy, but people like you are good because you have voices that you can say, hey, this is really hard and it sucks. And there are days that it doesn't feel so good, but I'm not gonna let this define me. And I'm going to be able to talk openly about that so other people don't feel 
alone and the shame because I went through that and it didn't feel so good. So I applaud you for taking the bravery and courage to say that. And I'm hoping through podcasts like this that other people in communities where they don't feel that they've been able to talk to their family about it and let their family know what their need, that they would realize there's something, these are stereotypes and taboos that we've had, but doesn't mean that they can't be changed. And mm -hmm. there is value in speaking up and you will find people that will be able to relate and connect with you about what you're dealing with and hopefully get you the support and help you need. Mm -hmm. um, now, I know you said that in your community, it's not as prevalent, but are there any of these views that you shared that is most prevalent in your community that you can personally share about, share, share your experience with? Um, you know, in general, if we want to speak specifically about the GNE community, when I came um, to LA, I had happened to meet my first two patients who were brothers and had uh, GNE, which was then called HIBM. And right away, I realized nobody was talking about it except for these two brothers and a couple, maybe other patients. And what I realized soon was um, the GNE is most common in Jewish Persian community. I have the second most common genetic mutation, which is Japanese. And maybe it's because I came from more of an American Western viewpoint, but it was really um, when, when they asked if I wanted to, if I would talk about it, I was just like, well, yeah. And I guess I didn't have much time to think about it, but in general, I'm more of a doer. And all I could think of the logic was, this is very rare. rare. No one else is talking about it because there's so much um, cultural shame, specifically within this one community community that I'm learning about. Um, then I kind of have to talk about it because that's one. I felt how sad that people have to feel ashamed for a genetic mutation. I mean, genetic mutations are merely a form of um, creating variation. I mean, blue eyes are a genetic mutation. Ten thousand years ago, there wasn't blue eyes. Uh, it was everyone had brown eyes. So I think this um, misinformation around what genetic mutations are, um, yes, they're genetic and they can affect family lines and stuff, but it's a little bit of what I think of a lot of cultural re issues relating from religion or society is, is driven by the percep by perception or keeping up with the Joneses. Like you right. have to be perfect, you have to be this way. And if you're not, well, your life is, you should go hide in a rock and be completely shameful, which right. is so sad. Um, so when I heard that, I was like, okay, well, I definitely have to talk about it now because I didn't want other genie patients, which I just learned was largely Persian, to feel like that there's anything to be ashamed of. Now, this was many years ago, 17 years ago, and of course, I was still dealing with it myself, and I'm still not perfect, but it's a journey of self-acceptance and finding out that you do have worth just because you can't walk or something like that, and it's about sharing your story and and, and one of the large issues from misinformation or, um, you know, myths and stuff is lack of representation too. You know, in general society, when I was able-bodied, um, sees disabled as one thing. We're usually a pity charity case. Um, you know, I'm not going, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but like even with a lot of disabled advocates with muscular dystrophy, the MDA telethon, they have a lot of um, criticisms by how we're posed as there's a line of wanting to fundraise and wanting treatment, but also not posing disabled as pitiful, um, like we're victims. Right. So it's a fine balance of empowering disabled, telling them just because you're disabled doesn't mean you don't have a voice, doesn't mean you don't have validity or a talent, but also 
when you are trying to raise money for a treatment, for example, for GNE, um, doing it in a humane and um, in terms of posing disabled as, you know, not victims, you know, right. and I think that's a big thing. If you've been told by society forever that you're a victim, then we believe it. Or if you're told by society that uh, your life has ended and you can't do anything now that you're disabled, then you believe it. So I think that's a right. large player, you know, along with religion or whatever personal things that we subscribe to. Right. And I'm really glad you talked about, you touched on the issue of like the pity because that comes up repeatedly that especially in a lot of communities, nobody wants people to look and pity them or feel like this sense of guilt or shame, like, oh, you know, I feel so sorry for them. Like that, even though you might feel that way, you do feel bad. No one wants the self-pity. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't make people feel, as you said, empowered. And I do know that that is a lot of thing, lot of what people are protecting against. So they're like, the reason I don't go places, the reason I don't do things is I don't want people to like pity me. And I don't want to feel like I'm a burden. I don't want people to look at me or treat me differently. And in a sense, then they go into hiding and then they don't go out and they're ashamed and they're embarrassed. So I think it is really important that we hear about how that impacts people. And also what you said is that how do we empower people? Like one thing I actually learned from you and I read it in one of your blogs is that, you know, sometimes I even, we've all fallen into the traps, even people that try to say the right thing, spend years trying to educate themselves. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things that might not feel good to people. And what we need to know is like, Hey, I didn't mean it that way, but thank you for educating me. And one thing I learned from you, and I'll tell you is like, I had used the word that somebody was once inspire, inspiring. Well, you know, you brought up a really good point that I found a patient to be inspiring the way I was more speaking to the way she coped, the way she mm. managed her disability, that she didn't let that get into the, in her way to living her life. And, but I realized how a comment to say to someone, you're an inspiration. No one wants to be an inspiration just because they're disabled. Like mm. that doesn't feel good. And, you know, reading that, in your, when I read that in your blog, I really had to think about when do I use those comments? And maybe I really need to be extra sensitive in the way I say something because it doesn't, no one wants to be inspiring because they're disabled. Like that is not, that doesn't feel like, okay, well, you got to be careful in how you use that language. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Because I think that is something that I have heard people say to patients and maybe educate us a little bit more on what I just kind of shared so we can even have a better understanding of that. So there's this whole trend within the disability uh, movement or advocates um, that was coined by an Australian advocate uh, who passed away a few years ago, uh, inspiration porn. Um, there's also, it happens to be Disability Pride Month this month. And um, there's a whole trend of trying to uh, uh, verbiage what's correct and what's not, um, but mostly in showing that um, language can really drive perception. So inspiring, I don't personally mind if I think some people get, oh, I, I don't want to call you inspiring. I don't mean it like inspiration porn is bad if you happen to say a disabled person is particular, a particular disabled person inspiring. It's the aspect of like when a stranger comes up to you on the street, just because you're outside or in a grocery store and they say, you're inspiring. I can't believe you're out, you know, kind of stuff. Like just because you're disabled. If you're inspiring and you're disabled, 
it's for a particular thing that you've done, not just because you're disabled. So I don't want to like deter people from saying disabled people are inspired, but I would say um, a lot of it has to do with like inspiration point when we see an image of a silhouette of a, a woman in a wheelchair and a sunset and the words say something like, you know, no excuses or something like that. And right. kind of tying it back in with pity, pity, um, it's just one of the most unproductive emotions. If you really care about disabled, pity is very temporary. You look at that person and it's a form of self-elevation. Isn't that sad that they're disabled? Right. Um, I'm great, I'm just, I'm so blessed, I'm grateful for whatever. Um, and touching upon what you said, where a lot of disabled don't go out, especially specifically ones that deal with cultural issues. So Koreans, I'm Korean and Korea, they're trying to improve, but they have that too. A lot of Koreans stayed inside because of this fear of like, we all have something in our lives. And most people get to hide it though. With disabled, it's very visible to everyone and everyone gets to assess who you are right away, what you can and can't do, and um, that you are at the lowest at the bottom of the um, societal chain. And that's where a lot of disabled people have. And that's kind of why I started sharing my travels because I want to like share like, it doesn't matter. And inevitably you're gonna, there's ignorance. It doesn't matter what other people think. Get out there and do the things you want to do. And in doing so, you've changed other people because people don't see disabled out. They don't understand right. that there's a lot of um, uh, barriers for us. If they don't see us, then they don't know us or, or you know, they forget about us. Right. Um, so a lot of that aspect of like, um, you know, inspiration porn, um, it doesn't like change anything for disabled. If you really care, you would wanna know disabled right. stories and find out ways that uh, you can culturally right. change, whether it's in policy or your own beliefs or behaviors around disabled. Right, I'm glad you clarified that. Cause I think when the inspiration comment comes, it's more from strangers that don't really know your situation or just commenting on something, but if, somebody says it in something in the way you did something that was inspiring or knows you on a personal level, it doesn't feel, it's like they're commenting on something because they know you and they value something that you've done or achieved. Um, and that's good to clarify because I think we're all kind of learning and that's why it's helpful to have these conversations because you know, when you brought up the topic of, you know, you can't hide your disability. Well, bottom line is nobody, is perfect. And if we all try to live under this illusion that our family is perfect, our mm. pedigree is perfect, that we're keeping up with the Joneses and we don't have any imperfections, that is not real. And I said that when we were talking to Dr. Halakui, like that is kind of this imposter syndrome. And what people need to realize is underneath all that, everybody's got something, whether it's mental illness, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's cancer, whether it's a mm -hmm. rare disease. Abuse, and a lot of those yeah. things, you're right, you know, it can be kind of hidden with more ease, but a physical disability can't. So it's almost like the more people can talk about all these issues, I mean, it forces people who are actually physically disabled because they can't hide it. So it's like they almost, it's the first thing sometimes people notice, but there are so many people that are suffering with different types of challenges in their life. And I think what connects us with humanity is to be able to talk about this. And I think in certain communities, whether it's the Korean community, the Japanese community, the Indian community, or the Persian community is like being able to have these conversations and be open about what we find challenging in our life will only create more connection. So I was thinking to myself, 
you know, if you were able to talk to somebody in a community and say, hey, I have this disability and this is how it impacts me. And then the other person who's able-bodied said, you know, I also suffer from, maybe it's not the same as what you're going through, but I suffer from mental illness and I have trouble getting out of bed every day sometimes and I manage my depression and it's been hard. And it's like, even through struggles, there's connection. And that's how you have more deeper, meaningful relationships. But it's hard for people to do that. It takes a lot of bravery. And that's why <clears throat> these conversations I think are so important. And I guess <clears throat> what I would ask you, <clears throat> what, what advice or what guidelines would you give to like family members that maybe are struggling with how to handle this, like how to address it in their community. Let's just say like, I'll give, you know, some communities that where it is taboo, like what is your, from being an advocate, like what would be your advice? What would be your like public service announcement that you would want to say to the community to, to have a better understanding? Um, well, I would say everything is and uh, how we, the lens that we, view things out of. Right. And if you just look at history, um, attitudes or perceptions of things have changed, women's rights, whatever it is. Um, most things we, we find out it was based on a myth or uh, power control or mythology or, or uh, superstition. And we've evolved that in society in general. Now society is largely based on a capitalistic system where right. if you're disabled, you're suddenly not valid. And I think one of the things that we have to remind ourselves, our community, is um, if we subscribe to a religion or things like that, that's fine. But anything that is based on devaluing a certain person, a group, or um, taking away equality or rights has to be re-looked at for ourselves, for our own humanity, for our own um, self-worth. Um, because what we realize when you view things in a different lens, like I wasn't disabled before, and I was very ignorant about disability as well. You only saw them on a telethon. You only saw them as like, pitiful, like isn't this sad they're disabled? Or um, a word that a lot of advocates don't like as much as we're living with a disability, not suffering from a disability. Right. Things like that where it gives us more um, agency and autonomy. But I would say, remember that a lot of these rules were developed by a very small group of people. So as such as media saying skinny uh, white people are the most, uh, the best person to put on media coverage or, or magazine coverage and things like that. Over decades of that, that's fed a certain um, self-worth in a lot of people that we view a certain group as superior. So I think we have to be more flexible in how we view humans, including ourselves, in that um, our worth is not based on this very tiny spectrum. It's like kind of like autism right now. You know, Albert Einstein was an autism, uh, autistic, uh, uh, Tesla, uh, Steve Jobs, et cetera. Now corporations are looking at jobs that actually are very well are suited for people with Asperger's or autism. So they're finding where their value is. Not They're not basing their value on this tiny spectrum. I would just tell a lot of disabled people who are going through this, it's a journey. I wouldn't feel guilt that you are having a difficult time with it. Um, there's, you can have pride in yourself and your disabled self, but also have a complicated relationship with it. I would tell them to come to it when they can, but overall, like the overall goal is to work in towards, work towards self-worth, worth in other people who are different. Um, trying to give yourself the challenge and saying, 
well, what, yeah, I can't walk, but what are the things that I'm really talented and I can do? And educating your family members or if your family member is like that, seeing that within your own disabled child, like, yeah, they can't walk, but there's all sorts of tools now that help with these types of things. And you know what? They're really good at writing or they're really good at art or they're good at, you know, just being a good human and how that could help other people. I think you just have to like look outside the box and the complexity that makes you human and see what makes you of value. And every one of us have something of value. No, that's absolutely true. And finding, as you said, what your strengths are and what you value and what energizes you. And I've seen that the way you have lived your life through travel and through art, like you found things that you're passionate that still is, that you find fulfilling and, and don't allow other people to tell you you can or cannot do these things you go and you get you find people to support you and you are able to live a very fulfilling life and you aren't being as you said defined by being disabled you know and you have found things I think it's like all what you said is about self-worth and people understanding that people just want to feel valued and supported we all do everybody does and I hope this time of what has happened in the last year we are all reflecting on things as a society as a community as a world things that we have done that haven't been helpful to certain communities and how we can all learn how we can all be better like mm -hmm. that is part of this we all need to do a better job of helping and supporting each other and looking at communities that are marginalized and how we can do a better job of creating equal opportunity, equal rights, better understanding of what other mm -hmm. people's experiences are so we can do better. And we are constantly learning. And I feel like even something you said, even right now, I thought, okay, that's a good thing. That's something I need to think about. And I hope in this podcast that it just gets people energized to have more of these conversations with their family. What do you need? What can I do differently? How can I support you? Um, is there anything I'm doing that doesn't feel good? Um, yeah, and, I, and when you brought up this topic, I think it's a really important topic um, because while we all want treatment, it's gonna take time. So in the meantime, how do we also work on acceptance? How do we also get over being embarrassed, having to use a wheelchair? In, in my opinion, you only get one life and you should not impede yourself based on what others think of you. Um, and the more that we can, as individual patients, um, go on this journey of acceptance and understanding that we've all been taught like through ableism that right. we're not worth anything the better we do that then the better we can become as advocates and be able to talk about it and I think that's really important for such a rare disease is as many of us to be able to share that and um, you know people only learn through us you know we're the ones that have the intimate experience with it so it's a really important thing to do and, you know, you said something, too, when you said the more we talk about it, the more we learn. But, you know, the other thing that might appeal to some people, the more people don't talk about it, the less knowledge we have about this disease, the less um, mm -hmm. people understand that maybe it does impact more people. And maybe that would help from a research science angle. Yes, a, a cure is not happening immediately, but wouldn't that be helpful to know that there's more patients out there that maybe that the by learning more about their more that there's more patients out there that have that 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 would even be more helpful for medicine and research to have a better understanding on what we can do and that we could actually help more people 
Yep. So I'm glad you, and maybe that appeals to some people because some people are like, I don't care about all this stuff. I just want to cure. And I understand right. that and right. I get it. It's a process in, though. It's a process. It it's a process. Time. But the cure is also helps if people talk about it because then you become advocates for the medicine part or for the research part or for the cure part. There is yeah. a lot of power in being open about this because it only can help further everything along, like further medicine, further your growth, everything. So I so always appreciate your honesty. It's always a pleasure talking with you. And I learn a lot from following you on Instagram and I encourage you guys to do the same. Do you want to give up? And I know you're actually writing a book. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that as well, because I think that could be a really good resource for, for our community. Oh, I'm just working on a, a children's book that is largely stemmed around uh, the idea of the journey to acceptance. Um, I'm an illustrator, so most of my art is based around being inspired by or inspired by um, the progression of this condition. And um, then I had did this uh, illustration where my I basically personified uh, GNA myopathy as this uh, monster that fo follows me around, and I'm the little girl that is like, no, thank you. And then what do you do with that? I think that's something that a lot of us um, can identify with. You don't have to have GNEM, you don't have to have a disability. What are the things in our life that impede us or slow us down from living the life that we want? And how do we form acceptance and a relationship around that? And understanding that I think, you know, like you said earlier, well, a lot of stigmas is that vulnerability is a weakness. And it's not, you know, right now we're in a time where a lot of people are realizing, hey, I have pride in my identity. Um, and, and so many different types of groups. Um, it's okay. It's okay to normalize the word disabled. There's nothing wrong with disabled. Um, you can still have your difficulties and struggles with uh, the progression of this. That's never going to go away. It's, I, I deal with it all the time, but you can still, you know, be vulnerable, live your life, share what you're learning. Um, you don't have to do it for others per se. It's more for yourself and, and understanding that you have a lot to offer still. Thank you. You want to give a shout out. So if anybody, because I learn a lot from following you on Instagram, I want our community to know how, where they can find you. You, you have links to your blogs that talk a lot about, you know, difficult topics that people don't usually talk about. Um, and I think it could be a really good resource for the g and &E community. So I, I, you want to tell them where they can find you? Yeah, my Instagram is just my name, Cam, K-A-M, Redlask, R-E-D-L-A-W-S-K. So um, yeah, just look up my name. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks always for your openness and all the work you do to help advocate for uh, the g and &E community and as well as anyone who is uh, experiencing a rare disease. So you are definitely a gem. And thank you again for uh, speaking with us today. Thank you for the invite. <laughs>